Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. The Big Bets on Campus podcast. 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 All right, here we go. Court. Ten seconds remaining. They just got to throw it under the basket. Under the basket. It's the truth for the win. God, oh! they did it. A miracle. Hutchins. Double order. Hit that one from the parking lot. What's up, the Generation Nation? Welcome to the Big Bets on Campus podcast, presented by BetMGM. This is the college basketball conference tournament betting preview, part three. I'm Stucky, and joining me, as always, Mike Calabrese and BJ Cunningham. We have, we'll get a little bit, talk a little Friday for what's out there now. As always, we'll talk Saturday, a couple spots we have circled, probably not as in-depth as usual because the card isn't as big as of right now with some games TBD. And then we'll talk uh, the five conference tournaments that are going to start between Friday and Sunday. If you already missed it, the guys from the three-man weave previewed the conference tournaments that started Wednesday and Thursday. We did an episode earlier in the week that were Monday and Tuesday. If you missed them, check those episodes out. Even if the conference tournament already started, you can catch some good nuggets for potential matchups and the remaining action in each of those respective tournaments. But we're in, it's March 2nd. We're recording this. It's a beautiful, beautiful time of the year. There's nothing better. We're, we had weekday college basketball cap, cap off today, and it's just only going to get better. So I'm excited. I hope you guys are excited. I hope everyone listening is also excited. Welcome to March and the Madness. Let's find some winners and have a month. Let's get into the conference tournaments. Let's kick things off. Mike, I'll go to you with the Colonial. Start the Colonial. This is this will start tomorrow, Friday. Time you're listening to this might be today. In Washington, D.C., this used to be in South Charleston, where Charleston would have an advantage, you know, semi-home court advantage there. But now it's in D.C., which I think is a fair venue for the, you know, if you look just geographically. Charleston is the favorite, eh, minus 110. Hofstra, the, the second favorite, they're the top two seeds, plus 175. Then you have Towson at plus 650. UNC Wilmington at 15 to 1. And then you're kind of getting down into some longer shots. Charleston is everyone's darling that they think is going to come out of uh, this bracket. And I should mention, actually, that Hofstra, Charleston, Towson, and UNCW, the two teams that I mentioned, they have, I guess, double buys into the quarters on Sunday because there is a first-round game between Hampton and Monmouth. What a game that should be. And then you have uh, a bunch of teams playing the second round. Semifinals on Monday, championship on Tuesday, which means Hampton or Monmouth, you want to get in, you got to win five games in five days. Uh, and then the teams playing in the second round have to win four games in four days, which is certainly no easy task. So there's a major advantage for the top four seeds. Lay it out for us. What are you seeing here? How do you think this plays out? Do you see any futures value on the board in the CAA, where Hofstra is actually the one seed? So what's interesting, I like the way that this conference breaks down. I love a mid-major conference that there's a huge differential between the top and the bottom. The 7 through 13 seeds in this tournament, Northeastern, 310th in Ken Palm, 
North Carolina A&T, 314. William and Mary, 323. It just gets worse as you head back. Elon, Stony Brook, Hampton, Monmouth, all in that 330 to 355 in Ken Palm range. These teams are not winning five games in five days or four games. In Zero four chance. Days. Zero chance. So let's talk about who actually has a chance to do this. You know, you, you teed it up with Charleston. The Cougars are currently a 12-seeded Bracken Matrix, but they got to win, I would imagine, uh, to get a, a bid. I don't think they really have that strong of an at-large resume. They bomb away from three. They take 33s per game. That's the second most in college basketball. They make 10 plus, but they only shoot 34% from long range. So it makes them a high variance candidate, um, which I like at at the top of this because they're not my pick to win this tournament. They're 176 in three-point accuracy, but they're also the best offensive rebounding mid-major. They're 12 offensive rips per game. That's third nationally. And all five starters average double digits, even their six-man Ben Burnham is averaging 9.6 per game. They've all played, those six guys have played every game this year. So they have a lot of continuity. They have great balance. So I have respect for them. But when I look at who they have to beat to to get this championship in this conference tournament, I don't think it's such a great matchup, particularly against Hofstra. Dalton uh, Bolton played one of his worst games of the year in a loss at home against Hofstra about a month ago. That was a four-point loss. So I think they're vulnerable. So what does that open up from a value perspective? Let's start with Hofstra. They've won 11 straight. You know, they're plus 180, 2-1 to one to win this tournament. Against the top four seeds, they smoked Wilmington by 24. They split with Towson, and they upset Charleston on the road. So at least we have that actual data point of how do they look matching up against these top teams. And then from a personnel standpoint, electric backcourt. Tyler Thompson and Estrada. Estrada are fantastic. They're both 6'3". Estrada can do it all. He's averaging 25-4. and four. As a team, they're shooting 47.8% from the floor, which is 20th nationally. And they have one of the best defenses in the CAA. I think they offer the best balance offense to defense in this tournament. The issue naturally is they're pretty small, which makes them a bad rebounding team. They're in the 300s and a lot of meaningful rebounding metrics, both on the offensive and defensive glass. They play four guards a lot and both forwards are a little undersized. So that is naturally concerning to me, but Tyler Thomas has really taken that step up to meet Estrada, who was the preseason CAA player of the year. And the fact is they can go together and score 60 points at the drop of a hat in a single game. So I like the Flying Dutchman here. The Pride are one of the the plays I'm going to put here in the tournament. But then we get into my favorite play, which is Towson. Six to one. And when you look at their resume against the top teams, they took Charleston to OT at home, lost by two. They split with Hofstra. They beat UNC Wilmington in the regular season finale. And then from a personnel standpoint, Nick Timberlake has made that jump to mid-major star down the stretch. He scored 24-plus in six of their last 11 games. Five of those games, he made five threes or more. So he's the straw that serves the drink for the Tigers. And then on the other side, they have Cam Holden, who's the – Yeah, he had 34 against uh, at Charleston in a game that led by double digits with like 12 to go before Charleston put a big run on them. And they uh, – Towson, look, love Pat Scary, great coach, and – they're all seniors. Like they're basically their entire rotation. So it's a very, very experienced team, but God. Sure. Um, so in addition, it's not just Timberlake. Also, Cam Holden has five double doubles in his last 10 games. He's probably the best rebounding guard in the country. He's a six, five, you know, power guard. And as a whole, they're one of the best offensive rebounding mid majors. And that makes it really like advantageous for them to win multiple games in this tournament because they don't need to have that game where they shoot 40 plus percent from three they can get on the glass and even as a team they're 33rd nationally three point percentage so i like the chances of them catching fire offensively they've done it on the road in the last few years they've been one of the best road teams to bet against the spread they nearly upset clemson on the road so when i look at that you know their play away from home that's a major benefit then we go down the board unc wilmington's 10 to 1 i actually don't like the Seahawks here, they got smoked by Hofstra, smoked by Charleston. They lost to Towson. They play very slow, so that's a little bit different and a bit of a contrast here in this conference tournament, but they can't shoot. They're 225th in shooting efficiency. They're bad on the the glass. The only positive thing that I can say for the Seahawks is that they turn you over a lot, but I'm not sure that's enough to make up for some of their other deficiencies. And then finally, it wouldn't be a conference preview without a long shot. They go with Delaware here, 50 to 1. Listen, they beat North Carolina, Wilmington, and Towson this year. So when you look at their path, they could beat Northeastern in the first game and then Towson on the way to the semis. I think that's totally reasonable to see that come to fruition because Jameer Nelson Jr. is having a special end to his season. He's up to 25-4 and a night. 
He's absolutely on a tear. He had 39 against UNC Wilmington, 30.7 dimes against North Carolina A&T, and 22 and 5 at Elon. So I think there's a chance for him to put this entire Blue Hen team on his back. And at 50 to 1, I think that's a little overinflated. I I would probably play it at 40 to 1. So 50 to 1 is definitely a play because of the path. I like their matchup against Northeastern, and I think there's a decent shot that they could upset Towson. And then once you're at the semis with the 50 to one ticket, as we said before, it's licensed to print money from a hedge perspective. Yeah, one thing that kind of that I'll, I'll disagree with on Delaware. Delaware is the is the defending champs for what it's worth. They're the sixth seed. They'll take on Northeastern in the first round. Delaware did win three straight to end the year. I mean, they beat Elon. They barely beat North Carolina, and then they beat UNC one two. I agree. I'm not a fan of the Seahawks, which I think bodes well for Hofstra. Drexel, it's good defense, but they got, I mean, they got to win four games in four days and they're dealing with some injuries as well. So, I mean, I think Hofstra probably is the easiest path to the final. I mean, Charleston and Hofstra, I, I just, they should walk to the semis here, which is their biggest advantage, which is, I agree with you. It's, that's how you want it to be if you're a mid-major. With Delaware, you have um, Asamoah who's injured. I don't know his status. He's important. He hasn't played in a while, but apparently there's locker room issues with Delaware and like they are, things aren't going well. I don't know. That could be anecdotal, but um, heard it from a couple people close to the program. The one thing I do like about Towson here is that you, you mentioned, you know, a lot of teams want to run, especially the top teams, but Towson wants to slow this down, dominate the offensive glass as a Pat Scary team usually does. And, these tor- conference tournament team games, a lot of times they might end up being more of a half court battle, a lot on the line. It's not as up and down. That's how Charleston wants to play. Charleston comes out with waves. They have a really deep bench and they just want to run and they get out and they just come at you and come at you and come at you. But Towson's super comfortable just in the half court and, you know, they can shoot the three. A lot of that's Timberlake. And then they can dominate the offense. So even if they have an sh- off shooting night, that's where, you know, they can make their hay. So, yeah, I think Towson, from my perspective, has the most value in this bracket if you believe that Delaware is dealing with some issues and they might not be at full strength. Don't even look bother looking at the super long shots in the bottom of this conference. They have zero chance. All right, good stuff there in the CAA. So wait, who you, who you calling is going to win it? Who's your call? I'm going to go with Hofstra. So my two plays, I'm going to take Hofstra at plus 180. And I like Tassin's value at six to one. Um, I think it's going to end up being the pride though, winning the automatic bid. If you haven't watched Aaron Estrada, check him out. He's probably the most electric scorer most have never heard of. I think he's gone for 40 this year. He's capable of going for 30 plus with ease. All right, let's move on. BJ, let's bring you in here and talk. Let's talk some big sky. This will take place March 4th through the 7th in Boise, Idaho. Montana State is your favorite at plus 115. Eastern Washington, second at plus 250. They had a long, long winning streak that recently came to an end. They lost to Idaho State. Then they lost to Montana State to close out the season. Montana, plus 450. Weber, 11-1. Sacramento State, 20-1. And then you're getting down into some super long shots for what it's worth. Keep this in mind. Say this every podcast, make sure you shop around. These odds can differ dramatically, especially when you're looking at the long shots difference between a 50 to one and a 70 to one. You get to the final. That's massive. So make sure you shop around and have as many outs as possible. Okay. So the big sky is you have all 10 teams make it. Eastern Washington is the one seed. They will get a buy into the quarterfinals along with Montana State, Idaho State, Montana State, Weaver State, and Sacramento State. The team's playing on the first day, Northern Arizona, Idaho, Portland State, and Northern Colorado. BJ, break this down. What do you see in the big sky? To me, Stuck, I think that this is pretty clear in a way that Montana State is the best team in this conference, so I'm going to be taking them. You can find a plus 140 out there. I mean, it's obviously very boring to take the favor, but Eastern Washington, they obviously had, like you mentioned, they had a 16-game win streak to begin Big Sky play. But if you look, her shot quality, they're the second luckiest team in the country. Per Ken Palm, they're the 31st luckiest team in the country. Ten of their 16 wins uh, have come by 10 points or less. So a lot of 
luck on their late game variance. And they recently, like you mentioned, they just lost to Montana state at home. And you know, the final score line will say they lost by five, but Montana state has 17 point lead with 10 minutes left to go. So it was a pretty clear shellacking from the Bobcats and the Bobcats, the number one team in the conference and adjusted defensive efficiency points for possession allowed in both the half court and transition two point field goal percentage allowed. They turn opponents over at the highest rate. It's just, it's really is the best defense in this conference. And then on the offensive side of the ball, they are the most efficient team at getting to the rim. They get to the free throw line at the seventh highest rate in the country. And then when they get there, they're shooting 76% in conference play. And I think the bracket sets up really nicely for them because since Montana is going to be the four seed, they are going to be on the side of the bracket with Eastern Washington, who is the number one seed. And I believe Montana state is the second or third best team in this conference. So instead, they're going to get to play Weber State, who did beat, did hand them one of their three losses, but it was on the road. And if you look at the shot quality uh, for that, the game was actually pretty close because Weber State just shot the absolute lights out. But I don't see a scenario where Montana State is going to be an underdog once we get to the final against Eastern Washington or potentially Montana. And I think the bracket sets up easier for them rather than them being the one seed. So I like Montana at plus 140. Sacramento State. Montana State. Montana State. Montana, Montana State. State, excuse me. Yes, that is a big difference right there. Uh, yeah, so Montana State at plus 140. Uh, Sacramento State at 25 to 1 is kind of interesting. Uh, they're fourth in the conference per shot quality and adjusted efficiency differential. They played a ton of close games throughout conference play. They lost by two to Montana on the road. They lost by four to Montana State on the road in late February. Lost by three to Weber State. Like, this is a a very, very interesting this interesting team that's had a lot of late game variants go against them. So they're kind of interesting. They're going to play Weber State in that first game. They're only going to be about two-point underdogs uh, to Weber State. So you could potentially get them in a, a situation where you can get Montana State or even Sacramento State into the final uh, at a pretty good number. So Montana State at plus 140 and Sacramento State at 25 to 1 are my two plays. Yeah, Eastern Washington, the one thing about them, and look, yeah, I agree that they were lucky. They do run great offense, run a lot of it through the post. But they, they're they a high-variance team, which is, you know, if you don't like that for one of the teams that are the, the top seeds, but they shoot a ton of threes, and they give up a ton of threes. So, you know, if the team is missing a lot of threes, then uh, – their opponents missing a ton of three, no matter who they play in this conference and they're making them, they're going to win this. But I agree. I think Montana state by far, and they match up pretty well with Eastern Washington because Eastern, I mean, Montana state can get out in transition. Eastern Washington, very poor there. Eastern Washington, very, very poor. I think ninth percentile pick and roll defense. Montana state can take advantage there. Um, Montana state can hold up in the post. And then if you look Montana state, they, you know, th- this is a team that won it last year. If you recall, they who do they end up playing? Did they play Tennessee, no, Texas Tech. They play Texas Tech in the tournament, but they won this last year. Extremely experienced team, and Bella, one of their best players, you know, battles amazing. Um, their guard and Bellow's kind of like this, you know, six nine crafty big. He hasn't been fully healthy until recently. He was dealing with uh, an arm injury and he's really come on, but you know, he kind of, uh, I think it was I don't know, about a couple of weeks ago was really struggling and it, it showed on that end. And I think that's weighing down some of their metrics. Still, I have them power rated as clearly the best team here. I think they match up well with Eastern Washington. Um, and I agree. I think this is, I think this is chalky. I think it's Montana state's tournament and they're going back to the dance, very well coached team and experienced and they could be they'll be a team that's steep depending on the matchup so i'm a big fan of danny sprinkle too in a, in a tournament setting very good coach depending on the matchup they, they'll be a team that could be dangerous as an upset potential that no one will talk about no one will they won't be on anyone's radar you know they're not like going to be the new mexico state or the charleston they're not the sexy team but montana state could be dangerous if they get in they're kind of coming on at the right time and uh, they won't beat themselves, but very well coached team. So I agree. I'm going, I'm going with the chalk there with Montana state. It's only a kick, a jump, a block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle, a run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this Adidas. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, let's move on, Mike, to the SOCON. Let's talk a little Southern Conference. This will be held starting tomorrow, Friday, March 3rd through the 6th in Asheville, North Carolina. Furman is your favorite, like plus 125, plus 130. They are the one seed. They'll get the winner of Mercer Citadel. Then they'll get Western Carolina, East Tennessee State. Pretty favorable path to the finals. Furman has had some heartbreaking losses. This core, these fifth-year seniors, Bothwell and Slauson, if you recall, they lost at the buzzer at a three-pointer in overtime last year to Chattanooga. Uh, Just a crazy shot from half court, and they didn't get to go again. They haven't been to the tournament since 1980. Is this the year for Furman? In the bottom half of the bracket, Sanford is the two-seed. They were swept by Furman this year. Then they will get the winner of Chattanooga VMI. And then UNCG will take on Wofford in the other game in the bottom half of the bracket. Mike, what do you see here in the SOCON? Does Furman finally go dancing? I think they do, to be honest with you. I think this if you had to put together a mid-major roster from scratch, this is kind of the dream scenario. They have a great guard in Mike Boothwell, Boothwell, I should say, 18-3-3 a game. And then on the low block, Jalen Slauson is a beast. He averages 16, 7, and 3. They also have nice weapons, additionally, on the perimeter and guards J.P. Pegas and Marcus Foster, who both shoot better than 35% from 3 and average 11 a game. When you look at how they matched up with the top of the SOCON, they swept Stanford, they slept, they split with Greensboro with an overtime loss, and they bullied Chattanooga. So I, I think they're ready to, to make this jump, and from you know, a style perspective, they can really score. They're averaging 80 points per game. They're 12th in shooting efficiency, 33rd in Ken Palm's offensive adjusted efficiency ratings, which is one of the highest for mid-majors in the entire country. And what I like is they protect the basketball. Um, you know, they're they're not awful defensively, they're, but, you know, not even close to being considered a defensive stopper. But I think they have the offense to run by just about everybody here in this tournament. And they were really good on the road. They're in three straight up on the road this year and seven to four, seven and four against the spread. So as a number one seed in a tournament, I think I feel pretty safe with the Paladins here. But I am going to kick the tires on some of these options, you know, down the card. So you have UNC Greensboro, they're plus 250. I was a little bit surprised to see this number. I thought it was going to be swapped with Sanford. Sanford's at four to one. I think I would need at least four or five to one to take the Spartans. Um, but they are the best defensive team in this tournament. Greensboro is 28th in opponent shooting percentage. They want to slow teams down so that, you know, the added defensive stops they get have higher value. They have nice size across their starting lineup. Keandre Kennedy and Keyshawn Langley have to have big tournaments for them to win this. You know, they can't just be decent on the offensive end and elite defensively. They need those guys in their backcourt to really step up. They average 28 points per game as a backcourt, but they're probably going to need to up that into the mid thirties to be able to get by some of these run and gun teams in the SOCON. Um, as I mentioned, the Sanford is four to one. I think they're the better value. They can really shoot their 19th of shooting efficiency. They make a ton of threes and they get to the line a lot. I like that combination. And they put pressure on you defensively. They're not great in a lot of defensive metrics, but they almost force 14 turnovers per game. So that puts them in a nice position. And the story on their whole season is Quez Glover. He missed about two months. When he came back, he was certainly rusty in his first three to four games. But now they're six and one straight up in their last seven with him back in the lineup. I really like their front court, Logan Dye and Jermaine Marshall. I think they give them some nice balance there. Bubba Parham, who's been playing in college basketball, this isn't a joke, since 2017. He gives them someone who can pop off for five to three six-pointers that they're not necessarily relying on to be the lead scorer. So he gives them some, some positive variance to potentially go off. And then when you look at their resume this year, they swept Greensboro. They nearly upset Furman at their place, losing an OT, and they swept. Should have won that game. Then yes. They blew a big lead, got massive foul trouble, but then they lost at home to Furman recently. And then in terms of like the, the wildest team in this tournament, and I'm going to get into why, is Chattanooga. They're defending champs. UTC is 12-1 to 1 to win this tournament. 
but there's news breaking on Jake Stevens. So yeah, started, which is huge. He started to practice again. And the article, I think it's, you know, one of their local papers. It's hysterical. The quotes from him are like, I'm chugging milk and protein shakes and anything I can do to heal this hand up. It's also kind of being the subtext of some of his quotes are, if I can't hurt my hand worse, if I can't damage it and potentially hurt my professional um, you know, draft status, why not just go in there, even if I'm a shell of myself? Because he was arguably the best big in mid-major basketball. He averaged 22 and 10 with 2.4 blocks per game. They were a team that could have won the SoCon had he stayed healthy. But on in addition to that, not just the Stevens factor, they're the highest variance team in this tournament. They are number one in the nation in attempted and made threes per game. They hit 37% as a team. So if they go ahead and make 13 or 14 threes in a game, they can beat anybody in this tournament, and they draw VMI and then Samford. So when you look and at And Samford how- gives up as much threes as anyone, and they shoot a ton right. of threes as well. Another high-variance team. And you look at their matchup. They lost by one at Samford and five at home. So they were in it. That last one at home was without Stevens. So I think there's, like, if you want to throw a dart in this tournament and hope maybe Stevens won't be back for the VMI game, but I, at this point he's questionable for the next round. If he's back, that's as big an impact on a single-player basis as anyone in this entire field. Um, you know, just to run down the rest of them, none and VMI, I, for VMI for what it's worth is I, they're down to like six or seven scholarship guys. I think they're starting like five, five freshmen. Chattanooga does not need Stevens for that game. Um, so they should get the Sanford and yeah, that's going to be a super high variance game. And then that's what you want with a, a long shot. You want the variance. And then you also have the potential of Stevens coming back. And if he's effective, like there's a lot of uncertainty there, but that's what you want in a long shot throwing a dart in a tournament where I'm assuming that they're going to get by DMI that you have to win, you know, three games in three days. The rest of the board, um, I won't even mention Mercer, VMI, the Citadel. Mercer's 231st in Ken Palm. VMI's 355. Citadel's 317. Those teams are not winning, you know, more than a game in this tournament. So the rest of them, Wofford at 19 to 1. I just, I can't get over the defensive metrics. They're awful on, you know, when it comes to slowing anybody down. And they'd likely have to beat the three top seeds to win it all. It's not happening. They went one and five against those teams. And they open with Greensboro. I think it's far more likely that they lose in their first game. Western Carolina, interesting. I, I'm kind of into it. They're nine and six against the spread on the road this year. They beat Furman. Um, they have three starters who average 14 plus per game, which is something to hang their hat on. They don't shoot the ball particularly well as a team. They can't grab an offensive board to save their life and they don't force turnovers. So 20 to one doesn't move the needle for me. But as you pointed out, these smaller tournaments, huge variance in terms of the, the sports books, what they offer at like 35 to one. I'm I'm interested 30 to one, probably the cutoff for me. So make sure you shop around there. And then finally, East Tennessee State at 20 to one, another one of those teams where I need slightly better number. They're awful from the line three point range. That's my concern where it's like, who are you going to really beat in crunch time if you can't make your foul shots or how are you going to upset teams without burying threes? They've been super sloppy with the basketball, but they finished strong. I mean, they went three and two straight up, and two of their losses came by a total of six points. Jordan King, their point guard, really got it going in the last two weeks. Could he go off and put the team on his back and, you know, upset Furman? It's possible. Um, You know, they stayed within four of Furman at their place. So I think crazier things have happened. But like I said, I would need a slightly better number um, to be interested in the Pirates. Yeah, good stuff there. I think I'm personally going to roll. Well, I'm rolling with Furman. I said a couple months ago, I think this is this is Sanford's conference. But look, they're such a high variance team, and this with Chattanooga potentially getting Stevens back, and then you might have to play UNCG, really physical defensive team. You know, adding Kennedy to the Langley brothers, yeah, I've been really impressed with them. And yeah, you mentioned Western Carolina, pair of transfers in their backcourt. Um, they've they've exceeded my expectations coming into the year with Trey Jackson and Russell Jones. But I think Furman has the easiest path. Look, and I worry a little bit about their legs because uh, they're an offensive team. They don't go too deep. And you mentioned Pegues, their point guard. He's really come on at the end of the year. And that's, I think, taking them to the next level. So I think, and Bob Ritchie, I'd love, I've been paying close attention to how they're like handling all this mentally. Because this is like, like when the pressure comes, Furman is like the last four years, these guys, like they've been so close and they lose in heartbreak. They used to lose in heartbreaking fashion to Wofford every year. How are they going to handle? I like some of the things that I'm hearing and how they're handling this. Um, and then part of me is, I mean, look, Slauson and Bothwell have been there 
this is their fifth year that they're playing. They've been close. I think that the, plus one thirty, I'm biting. I'm I'm rolling with Furman here. I think they're finally going to get in for the first time since 1980. Good stuff there. Breaking that down. One final conference preview to get to. I'll I'll touch slightly on the summit too before we get to Friday and Saturday. But let's talk a little Southland, which starts on Sunday. March 5th, this goes from March 5th through the 8th in Lake Charles, Louisiana. Top eight make it. So sadly, you don't get Lamar or McNeese State. By the way, I think Lamar, if I'm not mistaken, was like one of the worst teams in all of college wrestling. Yeah, they beat North. Uh, they beat the top seed, Corpus Christi. They beat Nichols, too. But sorry, you're not going to get to see McNeese or Lamar. If you are into conference tournaments that reward the top seeds you're gonna like this one mike i'm sure you like this texas a&m corpus christi who won the tournament last year the defending champs experience team they get a bye to the semifinals on tuesday along with northwestern state Nichols and southeastern louisiana get single buys to the second round on monday and then you have texas a&m commerce who's not eligible for the ncaa tournament playing mcneese state in the first round on sunday and then houston Christian, formerly known as Houston Baptist, will take on New Orleans in the other first-round game. As far as odds are concerned, Corpus Christi is the favorite here. BJ, is it chalk? If I yeah. got in real quick, I'm I'm open to being a sports consultant to make the Southland Conference as much public, free publicity as they, they want. McNeese State and Lamar, it's ridiculous that they're not in. It's not like it's a 17-team league or something like yeah. that, and logistics are the issue. If you really want to force them out, and you're worried about, you know, playing an extra round, why not just do like a three-point shootout between like the last four teams? Like, could you imagine live streaming that in terms of like ESPN would eat it up, put it on like 2 p.m. on a Wednesday or something. The, the casinos would love it. Sportsbooks are going to put odds. Like, just make it fun. Don't yeah. end their season. As you pointed out, they, you know, some of those teams beat the top teams in the Southland. Like, they deserve a shot. I got a better idea, Mike. How about three-on-three tournament between those four teams? There you go. Anything fun. Yeah, I agree yeah. with these... Yeah, you could easily have six teams in the first. Even you could have you could kill the double buys, but whatever. Um, BJ, is it chalkiers? Corpus Christi repeating? Where's the value? What do you see here? I mean, it's probably their conference to lose, honestly. Like they are the best team in the conference. They're probably a deserving favorite, but I think Nickel State has some value. You can find them at plus seven fifty out there. They're second in shot qualities, adjusted defense or efficiency differential. They're the second best defensive team in this conference by adjusted defensive efficiency. They turn opponents over at the highest rate in the Southland. They're the second best team defending at the rim. They're first in two point field goal percentage allowed. They're a very very fast paced team in transition. They're very efficient there. They're top fifty in points per possession nationally. They finish at the rim in the second highest rate in this conference. They hardly turn the ball over. Now, it it matters at this – it doesn't really matter. It kind of matters, but it also doesn't matter at this point in the season. But Nickel State played the hardest non-conference schedule of anybody in college basketball. So this is a very, very well-traveled, well-battle-tested type team. Now, it, it didn't show really in conference play. They did finish conference play at 6-3. and three. But in those last nine games, if you look at shot quality, they should have won every single one of those games, including a game over Corpus Christi. So you're getting one of the hottest teams who's due for some positive regression going into the tournament. They're going to have to play uh, Corpus Christi in semis, which is not great, but at a price of plus 750 for what is arguably the second best team in this conference, uh, I think the value is on Nichols State. Yeah, I would also look potentially at southeastern louisiana uh, just look they're gonna have they're in they wouldn't have to face corpus christi who i agree is the best team metrically very experienced team um you can get and, and the really interesting thing is that if you look at this bracket and texas and corpus christi ended up winning against texas and commerce last night who dropped to the five seed which means they have to play in the first round but if they didn't they would have gotten the four seed of nichols and depending if nichols lost yesterday and Texas A&M Commerce gave Texas A&M Corpus Christi a lot of problems this year. They beat them, and then they lost in overtime last night. And that's because Texas A&M Corpus Christi doesn't have a lot of size. They're a really good team rebounding team, but they they can you can get them in the post. And Texas A&M Commerce just I think they shot eighty two percent from two in one matchup, sixty five percent in the other. But South, so, but they're going to have to play two games just to get you know win two games just to get the Texas A&M Corpus Christi. 
Very tall task. Southeast Louisiana, I mean, they beat Corpus Christi once, played Northwestern State very close. They can shoot the three. They don't turn it over. They make the free throws. Um, I think that they're pretty intriguing because I think that they should get to the semis. And I, I don't know. I would look that six to one. So I, th- I think if either Nichols or Southeastern Louisiana tickles your fancy, they might be worth taking a shot. But I do agree that Texas A&M Corpus Christi is the class of the conference, but I don't see any value at plus 110. Uh, before we get to Friday and Saturday, we have the Summit League. Mike, you're not going to like the Summit League's bracket because they do not reward the top seeds. Um, We have Oral Roberts. Last year, South Dakota State became the first team to sweep, go undefeated in the regular season in Summit League play. Oral Roberts became the second this year, and they capped it off on South Dakota State's floor. They went undefeated. Max Asmus, everyone remembers, but this is... And they're clearly the best team. They ran through the entire conference. But this is just an eight-team tournament with no buys. And it's played in South Dakota. You have all the Dakotas. um, And then Oral Roberts coming up from Tulsa. So they're not doing Oral Roberts any favors here. Oral Roberts is the heavy favorite. I think you can find them minus 180. They were 18-0. and in league play. They will get the winner of Denver and North Dakota. That's basically a toss-up. Then play Western Illinois, St. Thomas. Both don't really play defense. Great offenses. They could put up a lot of points. Trenton Massner for Western Illinois is capable of completely going off. You haven't seen him play. He's fun to watch. Can they score enough against Oral? I I don't think so. And I don't even know who's going to win that game between Western and St. Thomas. Then in the bottom half, you have, it's all the Dakotas. It's South Dakota State, North Dakota State, and South Dakota. I just can't make a case for anyone beating Oral Roberts. I mean, South Dakota State has one of the best home court advantages in all of college basketball. They were catching five. I bet them got really lucky that game or backdoor cover. That was on their home court in a smash spot, and Oral Roberts still took care of business. I'm tempted to lay the 180 here with Oral Roberts. If you can parlay favorites over parlay conference, they might be a good parlay piece. It's hard for me to make a case for anyone other than Oral Roberts. And the good news is if that happens, we get to see Max Asmus in this amazing offense, which is now at the 23rd nationally in adjusted offensive efficiency. Him and Connor Vanover, the new pick and pop man of that offense, their defense is even better than that Oral Roberts team that made a run in the NCAA tournament a couple of years ago. So I think it's Oral Roberts here. I can't make a case for anybody else. Mike, any thoughts there? Or anything else you want to cap off for these conference tournaments? Any final thoughts? Uh, I like the Tommies, you know, as a total dart. Um, it's not an easy road. They got to take care of Massner in the 4-5 game, and then they would play Oral Roberts in the semis. But they played pretty well against Oral Roberts in their last meeting. Um, I think from a pressure perspective, when you run the table, and, you know, if they win this tournament, they're an 11 or a 12 seed in March Madness. So, like, there's a lot at stake for them where a program like the Tommies, I think they're playing with house money. So, Obviously, it depends. Shop around, get the best number. But in terms of throwing a dart, that's the only one that has any interest for me. Rhodey has been a great one of the best freshmen in the entire country um, for St. Thomas. He's a really fun watch. He's got a game winner under his belt already this season. So sometimes you're looking for a single player to kind of take over and you know create a magical run. I'm going to go with him for St. Thomas. Yeah, I mean, they, they were able to, in two meetings with Oral Roberts, they lost 81 to 69 on the road, and then they lost 95 to 88 at home. And, you know, Oral Roberts, their defense has been a lot better. I mean, they, they are the best offense and the best defense in this conference, but they give up a lot of threes. They take a lot of threes too. So high variance, right? If they're way off shooting and St. Thomas takes a lot and can make a lot of threes as well. So you get the three point variance. They shoot, uh, look, they're the 16th highest three-point attempt frequency in the country. So the variance factor could be working in your favor there. So, yeah, I don't hate that. I think I think if you want to take a, a shot, you're going to have to knock off Oral Roberts at some point, do it in second round. Yeah, and I think they do actually match up pretty well with Western Illinois, who they just recently beat. Oh, by the way, we will have our colleague Tanner McGrath about the America East. He's an America East fanatic. That conference tournament, which also starts this weekend. Tanner, tell everyone why 
you are a America East. What's the origin of the America East love? I grew up in Southern Vermont. Um, the first Vermont Catamount teams that I rooted for were the uh, TJ Sorrentine, Taylor Coppenrath, the Tom Brennan teams. And I followed them throughout the years when Becker took over through the Anthony Lamb years into the uh, Ryan Davis years into the heartbreak loss against Arkansas last year. And throughout that time, I've just grown to um, love all the teams, love all the angles. And I just know this conference like the back of my hand now. I've been covering it for the Action Network for three years. So love it. Uh, yeah, you clamored to talk the Americans. So nobody better to bring in to talk about a league that doesn't really reward its top seeds. We just got done talking about, you know, the Southland, the West Coast Conference, those conferences, you get like double buys into the semis. That's not the case in the America East where eight of the nine teams make it. Sorry, Albany. The Great Danes did not get in. Vermont is the one seed and they are the favorite. Uh, minus 175. UMass Lowell, the two seed they are plus 200. Then you have Bryant, really disappointing year. There it finishes the sixth seed. They're at 15 to one. UMBC is the four seed at 22 to one. Then you start getting into some longer shots. New Hampshire's 34 to one. Binghamton, 95 to one. The one thing worth mentioning, and by the way, this starts on Saturday, quarterfinals, semis on Tuesday, championship on the following Saturday. That's because the higher seed hosts and they reseed after the first round, which is worth noting. So we don't necessarily know who the semifinals matchups will be. So let's start with uh, who are you buying and selling and then maybe a long shot, maybe your your, your main bears or you're going to go with main here. What, what, do you, what do you got for buy, sell, and then maybe throw in a long shot? For the first time in my three years, covering the America East here at the Action Network. I am advocating that you bet on my Vermont Catamounts to win the America East tournament, just because the number is low. Usually, you know, it's like minus 300, minus 500. I think it got up to minus 900 for the Catamounts yeah. tournament last year. I like it minus 200. And the reason, the reason the number is so low is because there's another team to beat, UMass Lowell. Lowell beat Vermont earlier this season posted the best season in program history while nipping on Vermont's heels basically all season long. And I was actually buying UMass Lowell at the beginning of the season because they returned almost everyone, including the conference's best front court, in a year where all the other front courts were pretty weak, especially Vermont's. But since the first Lowell win over Vermont, a few things have happened. First, Vermont figured out its front court rotations, um, pretty much fixed its interior defense after getting roasted in, on, in the post on defense. For example, in the first meeting, a Lowell win, Lowell scored 14 points on 12 post-up possessions against Vermont. In the second meeting of Vermont win, Lowell scored two points on five post-up possessions, particularly a Vermont win. Second, um, a big reason I was in on UMass Lowell was because of Connor Withers. You remember, um, helped carry Obadiah Noel to that conference championship game a few years ago. He's been pulled from the rotation entirely. He's played five and a half minutes per game over the last four games. That X factor that I was really betting on is gone. While this was all happening, Vermont ended the season with 12 straight wins, posted the nation's highest effective field goal percentage during the streak. The Becker five-out motion offense is just cooking. His three-guard lineups are insane. And it's huge that the conference runs through Burlington again because the America East actually has the nation's highest home winning percentage among all conferences, 68%. So yeah, I like the Vermont Catamounts at anything under minus 200. Into my sell team, you might have mentioned it, super unimpressive season. I'm selling Brian. I'm all out on the Bulldogs. I will be betting against the Brian Bulldogs in the first round. You're likely to get uh, University of New Hampshire as a short home dog. If Brian does win that game, they'll likely be reseeded and play Vermont in Burlington. And I will double down and hammer the from cats in that spot. Vermont is such an awful matchup for Brian. Vermont's transition defense was built in a lab to stop the Bryant transition attack. I've also decided the Bulldogs are just poorly coached. Um, Jared Grasso took one of the better collections of talent that I've seen in this conference and turned it into an 8-8 conference team. Not only that, the Bulldogs finished the season 1-4 straight up and 0-5 against the spread in the final five. Talk about the opposite of momentum. I figured out it's basically just a lack of execution on both ends of the floor. I mean, they have this quick strike, transition on steroids attack, but they're one of the least efficient transition offenses um, they turn the ball over like crazy. They don't really have great shot makers. 
in, against Maine in the regular season finale, they just ran to the teeth of a pretty solid Maine interior defense over and over with almost no success, but Grasso never adjusted. And on defense, it's just a really passive zone defense. Doesn't really do it. UMBC just carved it up in both their meetings. I was like, there were so many holes. When I was watching those games, so many holes in that zone. Yeah, I mean, look, they're I think they're the seventh best rim protecting team in the conference, and they get shredded in post-up sets. I mean, two things that the zone are supposed to stop, right? And then if you attack them from the, the perimeter, like Vermont did twice, you can shred them that way too. Finally, since Brian is the sixth seed, they'll be on the road in both the first round and the second round. They're five and nine against the spread on the road this year. All out on the Brian Bulldogs. Do not fall for that trap. Finally, I'll go, I'll give you one long shot. New Hampshire, 34 to one. You're going to pick one long shot in this conference. The Wildcats are the only team with a a long number that is guaranteed to avoid Vermont until the championship game. That's good enough to take a flyer on. They also have Clarence Daniels, um, American East Player of the Year candidate. He's he's a versatile three-level scorer. He hits the boards really hard, averages 11 boards per game. That's something. They're also the only other conference team to actually beat Vermont this year, using a a decent front court to beat up on a then-weak Vermont front court. So you don't, uh, you're not worried about, you, you think New Hampshire's going to beat Brian. They were swept during the regular season. I think one was close, one was a blowout. But you think New Hampshire's going to take care of business there. And because you're selling Brian, that's part of what goes into New Hampshire as having value as a long shot, right? It's a little bit unfortunate because um, New Hampshire and Brian were kind of the two teams I was looking to sell entering the tournament. But then how the final day played out, these two ended up playing each other in the first round. So... Now I'm looking at it and I'm looking to sell Bryant a lot more. Yeah. But what is nice about Bryant falling to the six is that I could bet New Hampshire in the first round against Bryant. If Bryant ends up winning that, they'll have to play Vermont in Burlington, which I mean, that number will be probably way too short. They closed as a four point underdog the last time they played in Burlington. Way too short. That should be a double digit spread, especially with the way Bryant is trending. Yeah. What about for any first-round angles? Anything there to keep an eye on? So another reason I don't like UMass Lowell is because I don't like their first-round matchup. I love Maine against the spread versus Lowell in the first round. Maine runs a very aggressive um, defense. They force a ton of turnovers. Kellen Tynes, their point guard, is the nation leader in steals with 3.3 per game. Meanwhile, Lowell is a bad ball handling team. Turned it over 15 times and 17 times in two games against the Black Bears this season. Ended up being a two-point Lowell win and then a five-point Maine win in the second game. Yet Maine is going to be catching around probably 10 points. So I think this is the one team that Lowell didn't want to face in the first round. It's a bad matchup. And Maine is is cooking. I mean, they they started the conference season 0-5 and then ended 7-4. and So they have all the momentum. Chris Markwood was a great hire. Love Maine in that spot. The other angle I will talk about, a little different. Uh, UMBC live against Binghamton. Coach Level Sanders for Binghamton had to turn his roster over in the middle of the season. He stopped playing his number two guard, John McGriff, because he was inefficient and did not fit with the number one guard, Jacob Falco, at all. And then he stopped playing his center rotation because he liked the switchability of having uh, Christian Hinkson at the five. So he basically started playing a six-man rotation that is really reliant on Falco. That six-man rotation has blown late leads in three straight games, including two overtime games where they're outscored 20-13 to in those two overtime periods. The rotation just gets gassed. So if you get UMBC down early or like down halftime or down late, I could see playing them live and then letting them overpower Binghamton once the batteries run out. And the late game home court advantage in Baltimore should also help. Good stuff. Um, Yeah, I do think you're getting Vermont because they've, you know, if you say they've, been on quite a roll since that loss to Lowell January 11th. They've won out and you're right. Like this is cheap for Vermont. Um, and the path is pretty favorable. Who, who would you worry about Vermont facing? Cause there's reseeding and you, you don't know necessarily who they're going to face, but is there someone you would worry about more? Like you're like, as long as we avoid this team, or do you think it's pretty cut and dry? They should, they should win this no matter who they're playing. It's pretty cut and dry. I won't lie. There, there are kind of concerns against, Every team, um, I would say for first, like UMBC can get hot from three at any time, especially with the way Ferry plays if they shoot the lights out. Um, Lowell, of course, could overpower them in the front court. Even New Hampshire beat them once. The problem is Vermont is playing the best at the right time, and nobody else 
is playing their best ball right now. So I think it's cut and dry. And I think you're getting Vermont cheap. Like I think the public perception is that either Lowell or Vermont can take this. And only because Vermont has the home court advantage, they're the reason they're the favorite. No, I think this line is way too short. I think it should be minus 300 Vermont or higher. Yeah, and the uh, the home court certainly won't hurt. You can follow him on Twitter at Tanner's Truth. That's T-A-N-N-E-R-S-T-R-U-T-H. Good stuff as always. Enjoy the America East action and good luck in all of March, brother. Thanks, Doug. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. As a reminder, before we go any further, college basketball season is in full swing. So get in on the action with the king of sports books. Sign up with BetMGM using bonus code ACTION and receive first bet insurance up to $1,000. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Arizona, Colorado, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Kansas, Louisiana, Michigan, Mississippi, Nevada, New Jersey, New York, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Puerto Rico, Tennessee, Virginia, Washington, D.C., West Virginia, Wyoming, or Ontario only. Must be 21 or older to wager. 19 or older in Ontario. New customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable free bets or site credit. Free bets expire seven days from issuance. Excludes Michigan disassociated persons. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado, D.C., Kansas, Louisiana, Nevada, Wyoming, or Virginia, 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan, 1-800-GAMBLER in Indiana, Maryland, New Jersey, or West Virginia, 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa, 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY in New York, call or text the Tennessee Red Line at 1-800-889-9789 or call 1-888-777-9696 in Mississippi. In Ontario, if you have questions or concerns about your gambling or someone close to you, please contact Connects Ontario at 1-866-531-2600 to speak to an advisor free of charge. Sports betting is void in Georgia, Hawaii, and Utah and other states where prohibited. Promotional offers not available in Nevada and New York. All right, good stuff there. Let's move on to the weekend. Why let football have all the fun? Let's bet Friday Night Lights. Let's talk a little Friday night lights. If you have anything, a lot of the matchups are still TBD. I'll throw out ECU just as a kind of a look. They've dealt with a lot of injuries. Small still not playing, but they've started to figure some things out of late. They just destroyed Tulane. How they, you know, two days, I think Tulane's wearing down. They don't have a deep bench. And Tulane plays a very unique defensive style. They just saw it, they just shredded it. And it, they're playing two days later. So what does that mean? Like they just played at ECU. And now they're going to play at Tulane. So what does that mean? Well, they both were in the same place on Wednesday, and now they travel to the same place on Friday. So like the home court advantage and the travel impact is just not as great. So yeah, I think ECU might have some value here at Tulane after just winning. A lot of people are going to say, oh, Tulane's going to bounce back here. But seeing that complex defense putting up 83 I think Tulane might be wearing down here, and uh, they're they're not a really deep team. So I think ECU might have some value here. BJ, anything catch your eye or you have circled potentially for Friday? How about Northern Iowa uh, against Bradley? You know, Northern Iowa just beat Illinois State in the first round here The of Arch Madness. Bradley's on this crazy win streak right now. We're, we're up to, what, 10-game win streak here? The last time these two teams faced off in Cedar Falls, Bradley shot 16 of 26 from behind the arc. Uh, so... Bradley's eventually going to, you know, it's a team that's obviously played very well at home this season, not very well on the road. So now we're on a neutral floor. Could be a good time. And I also like in these tournaments, the team that's already played one game, catching them, uh, a team that hasn't played yet, could come out with a little bit of rust uh, in the first few minutes here. And second. you got some gym, gym familiarity, right. rim familiarity. Exactly. So, uh, yeah, give me the Panthers. Uh, it looks like Ken Palm has it as a, at 10. So I'll take the Panthers, anything double, di- double digits. Northern Iowa today, easy win. The only thing is, is that they give up a ton of threes. So if they're falling, they could get blown out for Bradley. But uh, I don't hate that. I, I have it circled as well. Um, Mike, anything for Friday? Yeah, I like New Mexico. 
against Colorado State. I know they got to play on the road, but it's just not the same team. Nico Medved's team really just kind of fell off a cliff this year. He's He did a great job in program building, working his way up through the mid-major ranks, gets to Colorado State. Last year's team, I, I was really disappointed. They they started well against Michigan in the tournament and then kind of fell apart. It just I, I loved what they had with David Roddy, but all the pressure's now on Isaiah Stevens. If he's not special, they, they can't cover against anybody. So I'm going to go ahead and lay probably up to four in this game. I also think Jamal Mashburn Jr. is due for a bounce back. He's shot, I want to say, 28% across his last three games. He is such a key part of their offense, a cog. He, he's one of the few remaining you know mid-range jumper players in all of college basketball so I, I like the spot there and then from a strategy perspective as well the mountain west conference tournament you want to get that by and you got to get to the fifth seed and right now san jose state is up a game on them but they beat them twice so if they can win this and then san jose state loses on the road at air force in the season finale they're going to get that by they're going to have to win the conference tournament to make march madness at this point so you know not the wear and tear on your body it's not necessarily that they can't win that first game, but I don't want to see them have to string it all together all in four days or whatever it is. Um, so a lot of value for New Mexico if they can go out and win this basketball game. Yeah, I'm I'm really excited to talk Mountain West. I think I'll be doing that with Jim on Sunday. It's going to be a fast – can't wait to see what the, the bracket, the seedings end up being. It's going to be a fascinating conference tournament to break down. Can't wait to lose more money on Fresno. All right, let's move on to Saturday. A couple spots. We'll just do two or three each. If you, if you only have one or two, that's fine. Uh, I mentioned earlier Texas, uh, Texas A&M. A&M. Similarly, pointing at rings. You get a ring here, pointing at rings. Kansas pointing at rings the other day. The one thing I'm still worried about them is their depth. And I thought that they were starting the show. They, they don't, they, there's no depth down. I mean, against Texas Tech, let's see. Yesufu played nine minutes. And that's it. Everyone else basically played the entire game. And look, they've been in close games. They've been overvalued for, I think, about the last three games. You know, West Virginia, they barely hold on. Texas Tech, these were exhausting games. And I'm a bit worried about their depth. They go to Texas, who has revenge, coming off the loss. I like the matchup for Texas here. They've been dynamite at home. I think Texas gets this win. Should be a, yeah, it should be a short spread. They're off two losses on the road to Baylor and TCU. And I, I think Texas ends the year or the regular season with a victory over Kansas. Mike, let me throw it to you. What do you have circled for Saturday? Uh, quick shout out to one of our listeners, David Simpson. I was talking to him last night and I was like, you know, I'm going to go ahead and play Pitt. I'm going on this rant about how underrated they are. And he goes, hold on, is this Mike Bray's last home game as Notre Dame's head coach? And I was like, right, you are. So I flipped that around and went Notre Dame money line. Now, out of a trap game, a trap loss for Pitt, I'm going to play them on Saturday against Miami with a chance to at least share the ACC regular season crown. I still think they're undervalued. You're, you're probably going to get points in this spot. So I'm going to go with the Panthers. And just from a pure situational narrative structure, that's why I'm on the Panthers. That Jack is questionable too for Miami. Yeah, that's major. Let's go. I'm going to go Villanova at home against Connecticut. You know, Connecticut's red hot right now, just when we want them to be. They beat DePaul by 29. They're up They're up 42 to 8 at one point against DePaul uh, on Wednesday. Uh, but Villanova's starting to catch fire as well. I mean, they've won their last three games. They've beaten Xavier and both Creighton in those three games. Connecticut won the previous meeting in stores, but Villanova did lead at one point in the second half, and they had a pretty off shooting night going only 5 for 22 from behind the arc. They did do one thing incredibly well in that game is they kept UConn off the offensive glass. They allowed UConn to get eight offensive rebounds. Connecticut's the number one offensive rebounding team in the country. Villanova during conference play is second in defensive rebounding percentage. So it wasn't like this fluky game that where Connecticut couldn't grab any offensive rebounds. UConn is a high volume three-point shooting team. They're third in the Big East in three-point rate, but more specifically, catch and shoot three-pointers. They're a top 25 efficiency team in those. Villanova's the number one team in the conference in defending catch-and-shoot three-pointers. It's going to be difficult for Villanova to get open looks in this game. They're obviously a, high, a very high three-point shooting team as well. UConn is uh, outstanding at defending the three-point line. They're along the, force, the fourth lowest three-point rate in the entire country. But Villanova does get to the free-throw line at the third-highest rate in the Big East, and they're shooting the highest free-throw uh, free percentage in the entire country at 83.2%. UConn is 332nd in the nation in free throw rate allowed. 
This is also a situation where the Big East tournament, the top five seeds get a bye, uh, which UConn has already locked up uh, the fifth seed, and they could play their way up to the fourth. Um, probably not going to play their way up to the third because Creighton is playing DePaul, and they're most likely going to beat them. Ken Palm has it at Connecticut minus five. Uh, so I'll take Villanova, pretty much anything uh, plus the points here. Yeah, if you look back for Villanova and, and Justin Moore, by the way, is like fully integrated in the offense now. He's their best on ball defender as well, and he's been great offensively the last couple of days. He's uh, the last couple of games, I should say. He's shaken off all of the rust. If you look back since a bad, they lost three straight to Xavier, DePaul, and Butler. Kind of bottomed out. Then they've gone what, eight and four since with wins that just mentioned over Seton Hall, Creighton, and Xavier in the last three. Actually, swept Seton Hall. They lost to Providence at Providence. They led in the second half in that game. Kind of, yeah, they lost at Creighton by five. The game was a coin flip late. They lost at Marquette. They led in the second half. They, they lost at home to Providence. Game was a coin flip with a minute to go. Like they've been in every single game over the last 12. Um, and yeah, they're playing really well. I fascinated to see what those future odds end up settling for Villanova in the Big East tournament. And they're gonna have to go through a gauntlet. They're probably gonna be no value. Might be a good money line rollover candidate. Another spot, I'm gonna go. I'm going to go Ohio State. Keep I'm keep riding Ohio State here. They're at Michigan State. It's senior day for Michigan State. I know. I get it. That could work in, against some teams. Uh, they come out a little nervous trying too much. Ohio State got embarrassed at home. But if you – against Michigan State uh, a couple weeks ago. But they've started to figure th- some things out rotation-wise post-Zed Key. And if you look at that game and like, advanced box score game grades – was basically graded as even. Um, and Ohio State shot six of 29 from three. I think we're going to get some value on the Buckeyes. Keep riding the hot hand. Mike, anything else? Uh, depends what number you get on the total. But the last time UCLA and Arizona hooked up, I want to say they finished 58-52 UCLA. Or maybe it was Arizona in that game. But 110 points. It went under the total by 30 so if it's south of like, let's say 149, I like the over here. I think the fact is Arizona may not be my favorite team from a national perspective, but I don't think they're going to go down without a fight. The The look ahead line for this is something like six or seven. I think that's a little too much, but I do think they're going to be chasing UCLA in this game. So I like for both of them to play, you know, in the high 70s, 80s, as opposed to another rock fight. I don't think they're going to let that happen for the second straight time against UCLA from a, you know, conference championship perspective, it's already done. UCLA has it wrapped up point to the ring, but they need to win this to stay, remain, however you want to, you know, see it on the one line. It's clearly important to Cronin. He's talked about the seating from the very first reveal show. It's something they're talking about in their locker room. You're going to see a great effort from UCLA, but I think Arizona it's in the same thing. It's like, this is for national reputation and for seeding for them as well. You know, you don't want to slide all the way back to the three or four with a weekend to the season that fluky lost Arizona on the three quarter court shot. So I, I think you're going to see Arizona play fast, score a lot of points, probably give up a lot of points on their own. BJ? I'll go Stanford on the road at Oregon. Uh, typically, I don't like playing these, you know, back to back road trips in the Pac 12 on Thursday, Saturday, but it is a short road trip up to Oregon uh, to play the two Oregon schools. Stanford has been the one of the unluckiest teams in college basketball. They're 360th in Ken Palm's luck ratings. Shot quality record is 17 and two, but their actual record right now is 12 and 17. There's some interesting game theory uh, playing on here with, with regards to the Pac-12 tournament. So, top four seeds in the Pac-12 tournament get buys. Arizona State is currently sitting in fourth, one game above Oregon. Arizona State is playing UCLA on Thursday night. Oregon is hosting Cal. So we're we're recording this on Thursday afternoon. I'd assume they're probably going to be tied when we get to Saturday. Then Arizona State has to go travel to USC, where they'll be an underdog as well, and they play later in the night. So Oregon is going to play Stanford at 4 p.m. Eastern, I think, on Saturday. So there won't be any, like, we need to win. They're going to have to try to win this. But I think you're going to get an inflated line on Oregon, who needs to win while Stanford's going to have to play in the first round. I think it's a pretty good matchup here for Stanford. The Ducks have not been good defensively at all during conference play. They're ninth in adjusted defensive efficiency. Their biggest weakness is they cannot defend the three-point arc. They're second to last in the conference, three-point field goal percentage allowed. Stanford, second in the first in the Pac-12 
in three-point field goal percentage, and they take threes at a pretty high rate. They're around 40% three-point rate. Stanford, also a top 100 frequency team in terms of post-up sets, which is an area that Oregon has struggled uh, to defend this season. They're ninth in the Pac-12 in points per possession allowed off those post-up sets. And Oregon is a very good offense. They're very efficient at scoring down low. But in the previous meeting with Stanford, which Stanford won, Oregon shot just 43% from inside the arc, only 14 points at the rim. And Stanford forced them into 30 shots from behind the arc, which is an area Oregon has struggled offensively. So I think this is a pretty decent matchup here for Stanford. I think you maybe will get an inflated line in Oregon. Uh, We see this typically towards the end of the regular season with teams that need to win and teams that, you know, a win or a loss doesn't really affect their their seeding in the conference tournament. So uh, Ken Palm has us at Oregon minus seven. So I'll play Stanford anything plus seven or better. Yeah, that Oregon, they just, those players just can't get, it's a very complex defense that Altman runs and they just can't seem to to get it. And they'll run, play a lot of zone and mix in a lot of zone, even interpossession. And Stanford has been pretty good against zones this year. One last one I'll throw out, West Virginia at home against Kansas State. I think West Virginia is in the field as they should be, but I mean, they're 19th on Kempom. I have them as a top 25 power rated team. But if they lose this game, they're going to be six and twelve in the conference. That's, that doesn't look great. And then if you, yeah. yeah. So I, but I think this is a great spot for them here at home against Kansas State, who I think they match up really well with. And I think Kansas State's probably at the peak of its value right now. They, you know, they've won three. They've won four straight. Three of them came at home. They've been amazing at home this year. The other one came against a just plummeting in free fall Oklahoma state team. And I actually graded that as an Oklahoma state win. Kansas state's been pretty lucky from a uh, shot quality perspective, both from three on offense and guarding the three on defense, but it's just a good matchup for Western. No one, I mean, Kansas state has been dominant at home this year. Western should have beat them at home earlier this season. And they weren't even playing nearly as well. As they are right now, their rotation's kind of more refined right now. In that game, West Virginia, I think, led by 14 at one point. They ended up losing in overtime. I think they shot 20 of 38 from the free throw line. They missed 18 free throws. And this is a West Virginia team that's shooting pretty good from the line. I think they're at like 75%. So why is this a pretty good matchup? It's a good spot. I think it's a good sell-high spot of Kansas State. But Kansas State will turn it over. That's good for West Virginia. West Kansas State will foul you. That's basically... West Virginia's West Virginia's two primary avenues of offense. You know, if they're if they're turning you over and they get some easy buckets, that's that's one. So I guess I should say three, but they're two main areas where they get offense. They get to the line at a top 15 rate nationally. Well, Kansas State's their defense 295th in that category. And then West Virginia dominates the offensive glass, 26 nationally in offensive rebound percentage. You can offensive rebound against Kansas State. So I think this is a pretty good matchup for West Virginia, a pretty good spot. Give me the ears at home to close out the year, to officially get a win and officially punch their ticket to the dance. All right, good stuff. Thanks, Tanner. Thanks, as always, to Mike and BJ for joining me. Thanks to our audio and video teams in the back end. I don't get enough credit. They do amazing work. And, of course, thanks to all of you for listening. Oh, I think we have to uh, – well, I didn't get it ahead of time. You still have time to leave a review, five-star review. The best one, we'll pick it on the Monday episode. I'll get our producer to send me them, and then we'll pick one on Monday, and then you will be joining us in our futures portfolio. So you'll, if one of them hits, you will get the one-fifth of the net profit. So make sure you leave a review. Subscribe, unsubscribe, subscribe. Tell a friend, tell an enemy. Appreciate you listening. Enjoy the madness. Enjoy March. Big Bets on Campus Live Saturday morning. Myself, Three Man Weave. We'll preview Saturday's card, and then you're just going to get a ton of conference tournament previews content early next week we will have four episodes all out by monday morning previewing i think 15 or 16 conference tournaments that kick off next week it's the best time of the year good luck on all of your wagers we'll catch y'all on monday cheers Action Network reminds you, please gamble responsibly. If you or someone you care about has a gambling problem, help is available 24-7 at 1-800-GAMBLER.